This week, we're continuing our conversation with Head of Solutions at Geek Plus America, Jing Jin. This is part two of our conversation. If you haven't listened to the first part, please go back and do so now. In this episode, Jean will tell us the hiring strategies she's used to build a powerful solutions team from scratch. She'll touch on the tightening of the labor market post-COVID and how Geek Plus is finding solutions to the ongoing problem. And she'll give some inspiring advice on tackling burnout while continuing to pursue excellence. Let's go ahead and take it back into the studio and get started. Hello, and welcome to Geek Speak, the logistics automation podcast. I'm Sarah Gomez, host of the podcast and social media manager here at Geek Plus. Today, it's my great honor to welcome back Jing Jin, head of solutions at Geek Plus America. It's a pleasure to have you back. I want to begin with finding out more about the solutions team. From what I know, your team connects sales and project delivery. So on the technical side, there's a lot of data crunching and analytics anticipation of client needs and efficiency demands and the actual process of getting the product delivered. Could you please tell me more about the broader philosophy of the solutions team and how you go about solving complex customer problems? Yeah, sure. To put in a very straightforward and simple words, um, we are the local product expert. We should be the one, you know, representing or defining our local region standard product and solutions. That's basically uh, tells all about what would be the, the the solutions team in America's philosophy should be. We are actually connecting the customers and our and sales group sales teams to our middle stage product engineering and R and D team. Um, we tend to focus on the entire solutions, right? The process, the throughput, the peak and valleys, the growth projection, and combining all of these with the right layout and, and products. We recognize and we're at the front line hearing the voice of the customer and, and you know, again, understanding their true pain points, what their the real needs to solve their headaches. And then I think by bringing this level of knowledge and con in conjunction with our product and applications, um, that will be, uh, you know, greatly strengthen our overall uh, market exposure in the U.S. market, and then help the the overall U.S. Uh, growth target. Um, another thing I want to touch on is, is in the past couple of years, the COVID brought so many challenges to the supply chain as well. That's what we've been seeing is the, the continuing restriction of the labor market, right? It's driving up the unprecedented challenges to the shippers. And then as the consumers, we expect to see or expect to get what we want very quickly. All these challenges, we're, well, me personally being seeing more and more and more demanding requirement from the end customers. And uh, that that is not just a, by one or two cases, that is very predominantly that we're seeing from the, 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 at least our region, the end customers. At the beginning of the COVID, the customer has to do with the shortage of the labor. So they're scrambling around, trying to see how we can, you know, to, you know, to provide some solutions and then to uh, solve that issues. After the COVID, I think the the, the it put all the company in a new level. Now they're thinking, 
um, even if I have enough um, candidate or workers wanting to work, but how can I better position them in a different role rather than, rather than just doing the basic of picking or walking around the, the warehouse doing some low value type of a work, right? That, that level of a demand or requirements is always going to be there and it's going to be a new whole new another level, right? That's always going to be the trend driving the whole supply chain operation excellence. I'm not I'm not going to be surprised that at all. This this um, you know so so for the the demand for the AMR, the demand for the whole automation, eventually the demand for the smart logistics is always going to be there and only going to be even stronger. Yeah, stronger and stronger, faster and faster. <laughs> We can never be fast enough, huh? Right. Okay. So, um, so one of your key accomplishments, um, and the thing that you get a lot of praise for, is that you built and scaled a solutions design department from scratch. So, how do you even begin to structure a solutions department, and what have been your greatest successes so far? Uh, well, I would have never called it as my uh, success at this point. As again, as to me. Um, I still think I'm not doing good enough. It's still a a, um, a journey that I'm gonna probably be on for um, many many years down in the road. But just to look back, how I get started um, when I first been put into the role and this responsibility, I think the number one priority is focusing on hiring the right mix of the talents and position them well based on their strengths. Not everybody is is basically come out of the same mold, right? Um, so initially, I, I clearly remember we have this product line focused to subject matter expertise, and uh, we are asking everybody take on one product line, and then all the project, all the opportunity that you're working on is heavily focused on that product line. And later on, we quickly realized that's kind of a segment segmented people's. Um, not only from the technical perspective, but also a lot of time restrained their personal development into only, you know, almost like pitching hook people. And, um, and this is not going to be a very um, long lasting or sustainable. So we later moved into, you know, based on the design phase, we're going to split or develop the team into a pre-sale solution consulting team, which is focused on the pre-sale. Uh, and then also a project engineering team focused on the post itself, which again, require more detailed level of um, a design activities. Um, we're still in the process of, uh, you know, giving it a try and then see how they played around. Um, and then again, seeing the team's efforts being recognized by the leadership, but by the customer, by our internal team members, and then, also to me personally, being able to provide this upward mobility for my high performing team members and help them to grow into the role that they desire to be. I think those are actually my success or greatest success at this point. So uh, with all of this incredible stress, growing your team members and providing great leadership and trust, I can tell that you're a super busy woman. You never stop running. And for any successful professional person, you have to deal with a certain amount of burnout, I'm sure. So one of the questions I, I like to ask um, all high performing professionals is, how do you tackle burnout? Can you give us some tips? 
Yeah, that, that's another great question. <laughs> um, I always think that you shouldn't overextend yourself. Um, and then make sure if that's a choice, make sure that you always have a sound financial backup. That way, you know that the challenges in front of you, it's just a choice and you can choose to make a different one if you want to. Um, believe me personally, this is the one of the best way to avoid a burnout. Again, this is just a choice that you choose, but not a choice that you're forced into, right? But I know not everybody would be lucky enough to have, to have a strong financial um, backup support. Um, I would say another strategy is will be surround yourself with all the motivated and talented people. And you don't feel like you are alone in this good fight. So a good support system around you is very, very important. It could be your spouse, your best friends, your parents. Right. And then um, but they, they, you you got to have to have have someone that you can talk to. Right. To release some of the, the stress and then the pressure, or even just on the emotion side of uh, the, that kind of, uh, you know, the conversation that you, you, you got to have to have it happen. Um, and last one, what I learned from my team member actually is the workout, workout and sweat. <laughs> so that dopamine elevation actually can make you feel much greater and then can clear your thoughts. So uh, uh, several high performing teams, team members uh, from, my, from my side, they always just have a very uh, routine workout schedules and then several of them almost to get to the um, the professional athlete level on some of the mm -hmm. sports that they are participating that just tells me you know the physical exercise can greatly help you mentally to ease some of the the, the, the stress and then to cope with that potential burnout um, coming your way yeah I couldn't agree with you more. I'm a huge exercise fanatic. And mm -hmm. I find that many high performing individuals at the at the corporate level are also uh, pretty impressive athletes. Yeah. What, so what do yeah. you do to stay fit? Oh, because right, right now I'm, I'm pretty restricted on the, the level of activity that I can participate. Right. So I'm mostly doing the hit, the HIIT or, or yeah. just some strength training. I, I, I try to uh, achieve a great, a good mix of this, of these two. Right. Uh, do you mind saying why you are restricted? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, currently 32 weeks pregnant, uh, pregnancy uh, in a row. So I'm going to be expecting a, uh, you know, a new addition in a family very soon. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. We couldn't be happier for Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things that I read about you that really piqued my interest is that you believe in mentorship. You have been both a mentee and also a mentor. Could you talk a little bit about the role that mentors have played in your life and why are they important? Yeah. Um, just thinking back, the... I think the greatest gift um, any mentor or the mentor in my life that has provided me is their beliefs in my talents, their beliefs in me. So I don't doubt about what I'm doing. It's, that's very helpful when I initially get into the workplace, right? Um, how I, I'm a new, I am a newbie <laughs> to, to everything. So I always have that self-doubt 
but the wisdom mentor, their um, teaching or their conversation, they instilled one, one little at a time that confidence in you. I think that that greatly helped me. And then also they provided me the opportunity um, for my talents to be recognized by others in organization and even for the leadership. Um, and again, that's helped me to elevate my career, moving along in the way in organizations. So a lot of time, the, the mentor um, can also be a very good sounding board when you have ideas to take past them. I, I mean, I would never say um, take for granted of those who wanted to be a mentor for you. Um, pay it forward and make sure that you always emulate these behaviors that you were taught and provide um, other new individuals later in your life with a chance to, uh, to succeed. Um, Another thing I noticed a lot of time is there's no formal mentor-mentee relationship uh, formed, at least not, not in my personal experience. I call them my mentor, but we never saying sit down, say, hey, this is a mentorship program that you and I are going to be in, right? But it could be just a conversation. It could be just a piece of advice. It could be just your prior managers, um, anybody in your life that shows the quality that you greatly admire, inspired, and benefited from can be your mentor. In, in that sense, I think mentoring is in a much broader scope. Um, it is always interesting to me um, <laughs> that I've seen in the past that uh, pockets of people who have been very successful in their career uh, tend to come from a very small knit group that was highly focused on um, something and went through the huge challenges together. Uh, for example, that startup experience that I was mentioning uh, during my time at the Penske, right? Uh, and, and I believe we have this in our solution group today. I've seen those traits and talents in my team members, um, in a lot of them. So I really look forward to seeing that we can learn and mentoring each other, and and then now uh, I'm you know I'm eager to see all those individuals how great the, the achievement that they can get in their later life. So it's it's always inspiring uh, to me. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I, I have one question that you brought up earlier. You you talked about how you always want to strive forward, get. Um, get out of your comfort zone and not be content with always doing something comfortable. Could you tell me where do you think that drive comes from? Oh, I think, um, you know, that that has to do with a lot of time, you know, bringing you back to when you were little, how you get a, you know, the, 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 the school environment, the family, the parents, how they taught you that that has a lot of things to do with that too. Early in my life, I was forced to, you know, look up to those standards, higher standards, right? You always have to strive for, but when I was kind of into my twenties, I developed this self, um, um, you know, again, pursue of this kind of a higher standards. 
Um, and I think it's pretty common to any high performing individuals. You got to have this inner desire to pursue something newer, better, um, always, you know, have something, you know, different to, to look forward to. Uh, again, I, I believe this is, a, you know, the, how people treat their life differently. But to me, if you want to achieve anything in your life, that, that could be the fundamental elements or fundamental quality that you have to possess. Otherwise, again, it just, um, you know, anybody can choose just to uh, be repeatedly doing what they're good at, right? Um, and we're seeing probably in this whole world, 80% of the people represent or in that category, how the, the you know, the high performing, high productive people stands out. Um, that remaining 20%, I think what really makes the difference is whether you wanted to, whether you have that inner drive or inner desire to do something uh, differently. So, but, but, but again, uh, to me personally, I think it's early on is some external force, <laughs> but later on it's, it's just a, a self-pursuit. Yeah. Well, Jingjin, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you are one of the people in our company who stand out to me and it's been a great honor to get to interview you and spend some time getting to know you um, this evening. So thank you very much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope this uh, a little bit sharing, um, you know, again, can have, provide some you know, paths for anybody, you know, um, wanting to um, um, be in the same positions. And especially I want to be able to have more conversation with the, the, you know, the women in this field, right? If you are needing any support and help, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me and I, um, I'll be more than happy to be there for you. When we return for our next edition, we'll spend the episode answering an automation question from our audience, and that question could come from you. If you have any questions for us about automation, our robots, or the logistics industry, please send them in. We're on LinkedIn as Geek Plus, that's a plus sign, or you can send your questions to geekspeak at geekplus.com. Thanks for joining us.